All right. Well, if for no other reason than just to help me refocus, um, let's just pray one more time and let's invite the Lord to come and speak to us. You know, I, I always want to have this awareness that, you know, while I've spent some time praying and studying and getting ready, at the end of the day, this isn't about what I have to say this morning. You know, there might even be some things I say that are the wrong thing. But I do know that God loves us and he wants to open up his word so that we can hear his voice. We can recognize his presence and his activity in our lives. And so I don't know what all he might wanna do in your heart this morning. He may wanna convict. He, he, he may, maybe he just wants to encourage you. Maybe he wants to teach you something you don't know or remind you of something that you've forgotten, but I know that he is present and that he loves us and he wants to communicate with us. So let's, let's invite him to do that. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for your grace. God, your, it's, it's your activity where you pour out favor in our lives. God, you pour out your love. In fact, God, we thank you that, that your grace is really your presence. God, with us, doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so God, we invite you. We invite your gracious presence to come and speak. Jesus, thank you for the hope and the life that we have in you. Thank you for, for all that you have done to make grace available to us. Holy Spirit, we invite you to do what Jesus told you you would do, told us you would do. You'd be our teacher, our guide, our reminder, our comforter, our empowerer. Holy Spirit, would you come and move in our hearts this morning? May this word come alive in us. God, may we hear what you want us to hear and may we respond to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, this is part two of our, our little four-part series on grace. Um, specifically this morning, we're talking about grace in regards to God's action on our behalf. It's his action to show undeserved favor and love. All right. That's what he wants to do towards us, in us, for us. That's his grace this morning. So to do this, we're gonna camp out in John chapter eight this morning. So you can go ahead and turn there if you wanna follow in your own Bible. We'll have, have words up on the screen as well. Um, but I wanna read a portion of this to you just to kind of set the tone this morning. We're gonna just read together the story of the woman that was caught in adultery that was brought before Jesus. And so let's read this story and then we're gonna dive in and explore um, God's grace at work. So we're starting out in John chapter eight, beginning in verse two. Early in the morning, Jesus came again to the temple. All the people came to him and sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to, to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one 
beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. This is God's word. Amen. Grace. The way Pastor Buring defines grace uh, in our discipleship journey book this week, I love this. Here's how he defines grace. Grace is God's stepping into our circumstances to intervene on our behalf. And what a picture of that we just saw. Jesus right there in the midst of this woman's circumstances intervening on her behalf. I want to look at three specific ways this morning that God steps in by grace to intervene on our behalf. The first one is that Jesus calms the storm. The second one is that he disarms the enemy. And the third one is that he brings true freedom. He brings true freedom. First of all, grace calms the storm. Let's let's look back at this again one more time, verses five through seven now. So here's the accusation brought. As this woman is brought before him, they say, now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. There's the storm. This woman's life is hanging in the balance. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him And notice what he does. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And then I want you just to see this next little bit in the next verse. And as they continued to ask him. See, it would be so easy to blast past this, to see what he stands up and what he says and what he does, to get them to to drop the stones and to walk away. But friends, the first thing Jesus does is he brings calm in the middle of the swirl. And all of the anger, I mean, can you just imagine the scene The rocks in their hands, the anger to act and to move, the demand that he do something. This woman is brought into their midst. Think about the shame of this. She's been brought in the midst of everyone. They're at the temple. This happened at church. Like, To help you get there, think of the most shameful thing you've done. And then you're marched down the aisle this morning, thrown down in front of everyone. I've got proof of the specific thing this one has done. Can you get there? The storm. The swirl, you know that feeling when you're, you're caught in the swirl where it's just like you're overwhelmed by everything that's happening around you. See, it's so easy to miss this. It's so easy to look ahead and just go, God, where's your grace? I needed to intervene right here. And the first thing he does is he's, he's present. That's the first act of grace. He's present And in the midst of everything swirling around him, Jesus is unaffected by that. 
He refuses to be brought in to the urgency of the moment, to the demand in this world. He just refuses to do that. He says, I'm getting off that train. And he bends down and he just begins to draw in the dirt. You know, we could guess what he's writing. Many have. You know, I've got thoughts and ideas on what that might be. But I, I don't even know if that's the point. If it, was, if it was incredibly significant, I think we'd be told. He just stops. I refuse to get into the middle of that. In his ability and, and willingness to reject that atmosphere of urgency, that demand for action, the demand for justice, for blood. He comes in with calming inaction. And I, I believe in that moment, there's an invitation. Listen, this, this isn't um, significant to just this moment. There's a reason I called it calming the storm, right? Because he literally did that. Like we have stories in the scripture of Jesus calming the storm. But you know, in, in one of those examples, do you remember what's happening when the disciples are caught in the storm, in this world? What's Jesus doing? Sleeping. He's sleeping. And after he wakes up and he intervenes and he calms the storm, he looks at it and he says, oh, you of little faith, didn't you trust that I was right there with you in it? Remember the one who's in your boat is bigger than the storm that swirls around you. He calms literal storms. Not only that, I think of some other examples. Jairus's daughter who had died and Jesus was asked to come heal her and then he got there too late and she died and he shows up and there's just, there's this, this swirl of mourning and crying and tears and everybody freaking out. When Jesus shows up, he just says, everybody out everybody out. He brought quiet. He brought peace. Then he intervened and raised the dead. Demons. Jesus encountered people throughout his life that were under demonic influence. They were possessed. And it, it's interesting, if you pay attention to what happens in those stories, usually before he casts out the demon, he silences the demon. He silences it. Stop your talking. He brings peace. He brings calm. Even the announcement of Jesus' arrival on earth, angels show up to shepherds in a field. Can we talk about Christmas and March? Yeah, we can. He shows up, and what's the first thing the angels say to the shepherds? Fear not. Fear not. I've got good news of great joy. Fear not. We see that over and over again in the scripture when angelic beings show up. The message is, fear not. Friends, the first thing that I hope we can see this morning is that when, when, when we are in situations where the grace of God is needed, that we would recognize his calming presence in the midst of it.
So often in my life, I've been wrapped up waiting for grace to show up. I'm in the turmoil, maybe of my own making, maybe just drama and circumstances around me that I didn't ask for. And I'm waiting for this this moment out here in the future where maybe finally God's grace will show up and intervene. And Jesus wants to say to us, my grace is already here. I'm present with you in the middle of this. I'm right here. Notice what he said just a few moments later. You know, often this story of this woman, it's kind of like put off by itself. But the very next verse after this story resolves itself, verse 12 now. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Guys, grace shines a light of hope in the midst of darkness. When I can't see a way forward, when the darkness is overwhelming, Jesus is saying, I'm the light in the midst of the darkness. Do you see me? Do you recognize my presence? Friends, I I miss this all the time. Whether it's my own sin and struggles, whether it's just the difficulties or the circumstances of my life, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Frustrated. Anxious. Wondering why he's taking so long. Wondering when he'll show up because he feels distant. And it just isn't the truth. He's present already. He's active already. His grace is at work even before the problem is solved. His grace is at work in the middle of the storms of this life. May I recognize it? A week ago Saturday, you know, we had had a bunch of snow. We got almost eight inches at my house. Anybody else get a big, big dump of snow at your place? We just had a ton of snow. So Saturday morning, you know, the kids are all getting dressed and excited and they go outside and our dogs like love it. And so my dog, Charlie, is just like, he's just doing that kind of like, I don't even know what what the right word, it's almost like a gallop. Like he's just kind of like jumping through the snow excited. Um, And then he took off and we couldn't find him. And it had been a while. And one of my daughters is just like in tears, we gotta find the dog. And so we're spread now, you know, we're in the woods behind our house and we're down the street. We're just going everywhere. And I just hear her, I hear the panic in her voice. And, and she's in tears. And I just stop and I look at her and I say, hold on. Like, he's not lost forever. We're not done looking. Now is not the time to mourn. Let's calm down and we're gonna look for Charlie. And so sure enough, five or 10 minutes go and we find him. By that time he's cold and he's scared and ready to come home and but it just was like, the Lord, the Lord spoke to me in that moment how much like in the swirl, I freak out and I start crying as if it's the end of the story already. The story's not over yet. It's not over yet. There's hope. There's light in the darkness. 
he's present. Friends, my hope for some of us this morning is just simply this, that I would recognize the presence of grace and I'd I'd allow the presence of Jesus to bring calm in the midst of the storm. Yes, I should pray in faith and believe for what's to come. Absolutely. But I don't need to despair. I'm not waiting for him to show up. He's here. He's here. And he brings calm. And who knows what he might do next on our behalf. Amen? Let's grab hold of that this morning. Okay, the second thing that grace does, not only does it calm the storm, grace disarms the enemy. Picking back up again in verse 7. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. He stayed in that atmosphere of peace. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Friends, Jesus disarms the enemy with truth. And I think it's significant to notice what he did. He started by calming the atmosphere and then he invites them into action. He gave them an opportunity to act. He didn't say, don't throw stones at her. It's not what he said. He slowed them down. He calmed down the situation. And then he invited them to act based on truth. Friends, Jesus disarms the enemy with truth. See, for many of us, part of of why we can't get to the moment of seeing the enemy disarmed is we can't even hear the truth he's speaking. I'm so in the swirl, I can't even recognize that he's showing. He's going, hey, slow down, slow down, calm down. You need to hear something. Let me speak some truth. Are you able to slow down and hear what I want to say? And so he calms everything down. He forces them to just slow down and stand there for a few minutes. And when he knew the time was right, then he speaks. And he invites them into action based on truth. Just a a few verses later, he, he peels back the layers. He pulls back the curtain and he exposes the enemy and how he operates. In verse 44, he says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning And does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. I love the way the NIV puts this. He says, it says, when he lies, he speaks his native language. I love that. The enemy lies in order to stir up deadly desires in us. 
He lies in order to stir up deadly desires in us. Look at what happened in the garden. He told a lie, and and his usual lie is just a twisting of the truth. And so he twists the truth to appeal to a desire. It was like, oh man, that fruit does look pretty good. And it's desirable to eat. And it's desirable to make one wise. And what's the end result? Death. Death. He speaks lies. And see what Jesus is saying here, he says, listen, guys, you've bought into this. Your own will, your own desires have been twisted by his lies. He's so played upon you that, that your desires have become twisted. There's things that we desire that are God-given and the enemy comes and takes a, a truth that's twisted and he takes a God-given desire and tweaks it and lies to us. And now we begin to crave for this thing that is deadly and destroys. And then we just participate in the destruction of our own lives and the lives of others. Like this woman had participated in her own destruction. She's not innocent. There was some lie that she cooperated with that stepped into a moment looking for, I don't know what, affirmation. She was lonely. I don't know. I don't know what the lie was. She knows, God knows. The people present, they're so caught up in righteous anger that they're forgetting I've done the very same thing. Notice who's missing in the story. The law of Moses doesn't say women like this are supposed to be stoned. It says they both are. There's the enemy's lie. He told a partial truth. Where's the man? I've often wondered, is he standing there with a stone in his hand? Hoping nobody notices. Let me just blend into the crowd. Friends, the enemy lies to us. And he even tells us that some of our own desires are are good and they're okay. And they're not. They're destructive. Sin always destroys. Our enemy, he's the accuser of the brethren, the scripture calls him. We're also told he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he's after. He's a, Jesus literally says he's a murderer. He delights in seeing our lives destroyed. Friends, grace shows up to disarm the enemy in our lives. He shows up to get us to drop the stones. He invites us into action. See, here's the cool thing about grace. Like, we get to participate and cooperate with it. Like, he he gave the people a choice. Consider truth and then act upon it. And they considered truth. I am in the same boat as that woman right there. And God's grace is giving me permission to drop the rocks. I can stop participating in this deadly dance with the enemy 
Who wants to see my life destroyed? Who wants to see her life destroyed? Grace disarms the enemy. Friends, I, I, I don't know what all the Lord might, might want to show you about that. Maybe there's some lies in your own life you've been cooperating with. Maybe there's some things you've even been believing, like this is who I am. This is just a truth about me. And Jesus just wants to go, no, no. The enemy's lying to you. He's deceiving you. He's twisting your desires that they might become destructive in your life, in the life of your family in the life of your friends. But, but I come to disarm the enemy's lies. I come to speak truth. And friends, that brings us to the third and final point this morning. Grace brings true freedom. Brings true freedom. There's, there's two ways that this woman experiences freedom and we need to see both of them. Verses 10 and 11. Everybody's dropped their rocks They've dispersed. And Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. The first thing Jesus does is he just, he disarms the enemy in that situation. He says, I don't condemn you. No one here is condemning you. But the second thing he does is he invites her into a new way of living. Go and sin no more. Friends, I, I want to say it's new. It's really not. But we have been rewriting, redefining grace for a long time. And it is happening Forget the culture from it. It's happening in the church. We're redefining grace. We highlight the woman forgiven and we ignore that she's told, go and sin no more. Grace sets us free from the stuff that's destroying us. Friends, we, we are even finding ourselves within the church validating and cooperating with lies that say that's the way you are. The issue of sexuality in our culture, the, the root problem is we're believing this lie that this is who the person is. And so saying that behavior, that lifestyle is wrong is, is attacking them as an individual. No, it's not. That's not who they are. It's a destructive lie from the enemy to redefine who we are. It's cooperating with a lie to redefine my identity. Grace comes to set us free, not just from the ultimate consequences of sin, not just to, to give grace in the midst of judgment. Like grace shows up to bring us out of sin so that we can enjoy a life that's aligned with truth. Man, there should be some amens in the room. Like, 
far too much of my life I've spent cooperating with lies. I still do. By God's grace, he sets me free from that. By his grace, he invites me into a new way of living. By his grace, he enables me to keep walking that out. But like we can't redefine grace. Grace brings true freedom. Grace is not just a get out of jail free card. It invites us to live in truth. I wanna give you three glimpses of this in, in this passage. The first one, and I wanna say this right here because we need to see how, how these are knit together, okay? Jesus tells the woman, you're not condemned. That's huge. We have to hear that. We all stand accused. We all stand guilty. And Jesus' grace shows up and says, you are not condemned. Church, part of why, why we're, we're losing some of our influence in a broken world that's in need is our response to grace being twisted is we're just condemning people. The parts of the, ch the church that are holding on to truth are throwing rocks. Like, is this the posture that says, come and find grace? Come and find help? No. And so the first thing Jesus says is, you are not condemned. I forgive you. And then he invites her into a new way of life. When he says, go and sin no more, he doesn't leave her there. We already read it. The very next thing he says is, verse 12 again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Young lady, you know how you can experience freedom from this darkness that you've been trapped in? Come walk with me. If we read this passage as he just says, go sin no more, good luck. <laughs> I'm gonna be right back in the firing line again. He shows us that there is a pathway to walk into new life. In the midst of a world that is dark, if I stay close to him, I can walk in the light. And in the light, there's freedom and hope. He calls it the light of life. Secondly, not only does, does light, does he give us that picture of light? Truth. We stand in truth. Look at, look at verses 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Truth. I gotta live there. I gotta make that my abode. You know why we need to live in truth and abide in truth? Because we're surrounded by the lie. We're surrounded by it. The enemy's speaking it. It appeals to desires in me that draw me into it. And the world around me delights in it, cooperates with it. And so I'm surrounded by lies. We don't have to go looking for it. It's everywhere. And so we abide in the truth because then the truth, it 
it exposes the lie for what it is. And so light shines in the darkness and I stay close. I follow and I make my home with the truth and it brings freedom. It's not a trap. It's not slavery. It's not an obligation. It's freeing. It's freeing. And see, this is what Jesus is after, bringing real freedom. Look at, look at their response. And I want you to understand this. Verses 31 and 32 are to the people who are believing in him, okay? People who are believing in him have just been told that they can be set free by the truth. That sounds like great news, doesn't it? Watch how the people who are believing in him respond to this idea that they can be set free. Look at verse 33. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? Do you see how easily we're ensnared by sin and its deception? First of all, what they're saying is absurd. We're children of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. Uh, Egypt, 400 years, is calling on line one. Uh, by the way, the Assyrians and Babylonians want to remind you of another period when you were enslaved and captivated and dispersed. And oh, guess who's in charge of things right now? The Roman Empire. You are presently enslaved right now. Friends, can I just tell you, sin makes us stupid. It does. I don't get credit for that. My pastor has been saying that for years. Sin makes you stupid. We don't even realize the level at which we're trapped. We're enslaved and we lie to ourselves about it. And so we either redefine sin or we okay its presence in our lives or we try really hard apart from grace to do better. And all of that is a trap. Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He speaks truth so that we might experience real freedom. That's why Paul spent so much time in Romans and in other places. He's like one minute, He's hammering home grace and just the power of God to intervene on our behalf, like to set us free. He's like, it's amazing, it's wonderful. And then he immediately has to turn on the next breath and say, but don't use it as a license to sin because <laughs> you're just falling right back into the same trap. The grace that saves us will sustain us as we, we learn to cooperate with truth. It's real freedom. And so Jesus, Jesus follows up in the midst of their response to that. And he says, oh, you don't think you're enslaved? Okay. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, hey, listen up. I'm about to tell you some truth. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's grace. See, guys, the bottom line is 
You know, grace intervening to bring calm and to disarm the enemy and to bring us true freedom. It's, it's God intervening on our behalf, no matter the cost. See, the reality is, this is a story and an example of God's grace at work, but it's a reminder of exactly how Jesus does this. You know, the very last verse in this entire story, I wanna read you part of it. John eight fifty nine. So they picked up stones to throw at him. The story starts with the woman getting ready to have stones thrown at her. And by the end of the story, Jesus has put himself in her place. That's what the cross is all about. It's Jesus facing the cross and he doesn't defend himself. In fact, he's led like a sheep before its shears and he's what? Silent. He went calmly to the cross on our behalf. He disarmed the enemy by taking everything the enemy had. That's how he disarms the enemy's powers. He put himself in our place. He brings truth and freedom because he proved that he's conquered death because he's risen again. Jesus wasn't just a nice guy that helped out a lady in a bad spot. He is God intervening on your behalf, intervening on my behalf to calm the storms of this life, to disarm the enemy's activity and to make a way for me to experience real freedom in him. I get that now and I get it forever. His grace is his presence in our lives, intervening on our behalf. May we have eyes to recognize his presence. Maybe some of us this morning just, just need to recognize he's there. I'm in the midst of an unfinished story and it's a mess right now. Just recognize he's there. For some of us, he's putting his finger on it right now. There's a place where he wants to disarm the enemy's power in your life. He wants to set you free from sin and slavery. He wants to expose a lie and help you walk in the truth. For some of us this morning, man, he just wants to remind us, follow me, spend time with me. I'm right there, I'm present. Let's live in truth and experience the freedom that that kind of a life offers. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your gracious presence in our life. God, thank you for the ultimate act of the cross. Jesus, where you step in fully on our behalf to make a way where we can experience true freedom, real life, now and eternal. God, thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for your gracious presence in our lives in the here and now. God, that you're with us in the midst of the struggles and difficulties of this life. God, the times when our own sin has gotten us in a mess. 
God, the times when we're just, we're going along as best as we can, but we're dealing with the consequences of just a broken, sinful world around us. But God, we thank you for your gracious presence in the midst of it all. The story is not finished yet. You are present with us. And that your desire is to bring peace, to disarm the enemy, and help us enjoy the freedom that you offer. God, we love you. We declare our need for you and our dependence upon you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.